2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, The Last Nighters, and we are going to talk about Office Space tonight. This is the 33rd episode of the show, and you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 33. So hey, hey, uh, hey, Robert, uh, what's happening? Hey, buddy. Yeah, what is happening? I'm just uh, here doing the show, uh, calling in, even though now I'm on the west side, and we might be able to do some shows mono e mano in the near future, in the same room, as it were, being able to stare at each other longingly in the eyeballs it's gonna be exciting yeah i'm gonna go ahead and need you to uh listen to the google description on this office space came out 1999 romance slash comedy one hour 30 minutes 7.8 on the imdb 68 percent metacritic and 79 percent of the rotten tomatoes but 90 percent of the google users like it so it's a big uh cult type movie cult hit that did very poorly in the box office here is the description Corporate drone Peter Gibbons, played by Swingers, Ron Livingston, hates his soul-killing job at software company Inatech. While undergoing hypnotherapy, Peter's left in a blissful state when his therapist dies in the middle of their session. He refuses to work overtime, plays games at his desk, and unintentionally charms two consultants into putting him on the management fast track. When Peter's friends learn they're about to be downsized, they hatch a revenge plot against the company inspired by Superman 3. Director Mike Judge... Screenplay, Mike Judge. Story by Mike Judge. Uh, this is a Mike Judgey uh, Judge film. And he was also the um, the manager at Tchotchkes, right? As a little cameo? He was. He was very interested in the flair of Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston and how, how above and beyond and how, how it might, well it matched her, what, her personality? Is that what it was? Well, 15 was the minimum. And, you know, if she's okay with just the minimum, then I guess that's okay. But they really want to support... He really supports the decision of uh, doing a few more. That's right. Now, I take one issue with that phraseology in the description. Would you would you accurate? Would you say that the the gang hatch a revenge plot against the corporation? I guess it was. I mean, Peter he at one point says that Inatech is an evil corporation, and that somehow justifies their theft. I mean, it seems like they want this cash. Like they they they're owed it. I don't. I, I didn't really get their own justification. They just seemed like they wanted some money. They wanted to get back. I guess revenge at Inatech for firing them, and that somehow justified what they did. I know we're digging right into the heart of it, but it's the jump to conclusions show. <laughs> it's a million dollar idea. Uh, yeah. So we, why not get right into this question? Um, now I've got a, a whole batch of memes related to office space and libertarian catchphrases like taxation being theft and what about the roads and uh, the roads one is the best. And and if if you don't like it, why don't you leave? Yes, that one's also fantastic. The roads one is my favorite. But why should I leave when they're the ones that suck is, is also fantastic. Right. And then the other one that you just talked about, or there's one with Jennifer Aniston with her query of, so you're going to take something that's not yours. And how is that not stealing? 
And there's a version of it related to taxation. He says, well, it becomes ours <laughs> through the force Fantastic. of violence. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so that's also a very good one. So I'll post all of these on our show notes page and you can uh, feel free to disseminate them, redistribute the wealth, uh, as they as they like to say. But uh, back to the, the crux of your question, uh, they were doing it because they were getting fired and they were like, fuck this company for downsizing us and making us work in these, you know, shitty air conditioned conditions. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a very privileged argument to me. Like they were owed some restitution for their voluntary employment and that it was somehow unjust that they were fired when they it seems like they don't understand that they're in a voluntary relationship and at any given time either party may cancel that relationship. Yeah, no. So it I'd, seems like an entitled opinion to me. I think that you're right uh, from, you know, the perspective of somebody who's given it some thought and reflected okay. on these things, but I think in the moment without having an awareness of philosophical underpinnings of libertarianism, human action, praxeology, all those things. One would feel slighted if this bureaucratic company that was like not fun to work for brought in these consultants who were basically just going to like cut the fat, right? And then you ended up being on the chopping block. I would be, I would think that that would elicit some being upset and angered by it. Well, I suppose if you got some cushy job where you don't actually do any work, it seemed like they were cutting people who did almost nothing. <laughs> I, I talk to the fucking customers. <laughs> <laughs> I have people skills. <laughs> Why don't you people understand this? I swear this whole episode is just going to be us like quoting stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, so, oh, oh, uh, I forgot to mention this. You can find this show at the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction at thelaunchpadmedia.com. So just throw that in there. Five minutes into the show. Let's go. Good job, Daniel. All right. Thank you You're for joining us, Launchpadians. We appreciate you. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. So I got I got derailed so quickly here. So uh, the, the plot, yes, they got fired. They were probably upset about it. They wouldn't have done this had they uh, not been fired. And I think they also pointed to the Y2K glitch as what, how it wouldn't even be noticed. Right, because they were doing all the updating for the Y2K. Right, right. And, and then what they were doing, they were rounding off like the thousands or more of a penny, you know, something along those lines, like several decimal or, you know, several spaces deep. I supposed mean, to do that, but right. Michael screws up. On some mundane detail. <laughs> it, it's the crux of the program, but sure, some mundane detail. Right. Now, now in a way, um, I almost feel like they would have to pick a point where they're going to cut it off anyway. Um, now, whether they can take that rounded portion and put it into an account that they opened is another matter. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it kind of doesn't feel like as thefty as just outright theft. Do you know what I mean? Are you are you defending these guys? I'm saying that Superman 3, the plot to Superman 3, not terrible. It's still kind of stealing, but it's money that... Kind of stealing. <laughs> kind of. You're splitting hairs here. Well, they, accounting, they would have rounded it off anyway, right? I assume they do some... I'm not an accountant, but I assume they do some sort of rounding. Yeah, so they're just, you know, being a middleman here, <laughs> doing a little rake off the top. And because Michael screwed it up... The rake was a little bit bigger and it became more noticeable. But, you know, it's like the little give a penny, take a penny. Not the jar. That's for the crippled children. Okay, I want you to give me a serious answer here, Daniel. Is it theft or is it not? All right. I think technically it is, though. No, 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 no. Screw this technically crap. I don't want to hear any technicality crap. I want you to give me a definitive answer. Yes or no? It becomes theirs. Yeah. So 
Yeah, they're, they're stealing. They're taking something that doesn't belong to them that is somebody else's. Through subterfuge, like sne- underhanded sneakiness, to where it yeah, would, a virus. would not even be noticed had which, he not screwed which it Which they affected somebody else's property. That's true, yeah. Yeah, yep. Yep, they're thieves. They're thieves. They're thieves. Thieves! Thieves, I say. And these are our protagonists. We're supposed to feel sympathy for them and root for them. Right, but we don't know that they're thieves until near the end of the film. Like this, the movie goes along and it, there's a lot of stage setting. Like we don't get to the, we're going to take the money until like almost two thirds through. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we get that Peter's not happy and then we get him hypnotized and then he's happy. And then we get the subplot with Jennifer Aniston and then having sex with Lumberg. And then he realizes it's a different guy. There's a lot that happens in this film. It is, I guess, a comedy slash romance, although there's not a whole lot of romance in the movie, but whatever. It's still it's still good stuff. Yeah, and like you said, like you said earlier, you've seen this movie dozens of times, and I, I have as well. I always thought that Jennifer Aniston was in it more until watching it again in preparation for the show. I mean, she's in there for maybe 10 minutes of screen time, really. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of them actually doing a whole lot. There, she's in a few scenes, but not a lot is asked of her. She's probably what the big star at the time. Uh, uh, is this before Friends or is this after Friends or during Friends? I think this is a during Friends thing. Ninety nine. Yeah, it's a during Friends. So she would have been the big the big get for the movie. Yeah, and then Diedrich Bader, he was doing the uh, Whose Line Is Is It Anyway stuff, and um, Ron was just in uh, Swingers a few years prior. And he's basically the same guy. Right. And he wasn't the big star out of that one either. It was uh, our man Vince Vaughn. Yes, he was, Daniel. Who is also not a pussy. Now, there's um, an interesting... The one thing that jumped out at me while watching this film, because, you know, I always look at the economic stuff, and the economic stuff always jumps out at me because of my perspective. But you get Peter's argument that he's working at this soulless job, at this job that he hates for this evil corporation. And he thinks that no human was ever meant to work in a cubicle and therefore somehow in is evil. And then he's having this, this uh, interview with the Bobs. And he says that there's a motivation problem in essentially capitalism because Pete says, well, he works harder and Inatech sells a few more units, but he doesn't see any extra money. So I'm going to ask you, Daniel, is there a motivation problem? And I think it's hilarious because there's a massive motivation problem under socialism and communism. But does capitalism also have a motivation problem? I think this is a softball. I think you're going to knock this one out of the park, but I'm just going to throw it at you. Well, in unfettered capitalism, where you would see the fruits of your own labors, then there would be absolutely no motivation problem whatsoever because the amount of effort that you put into something dashed in with a little bit of entrepreneurial risk in hoping that you're satisfying the needs and wants of other consumers, uh, you get direct feedback. And that's what drives the profit and loss system. And that's how you uh, optimize where resources are going because unprofitable things cannot be continued for very long because people have that direct feedback mechanism. So the motivation problem is a non-factor in that level of capitalism. Now in Peter's particular instance, he's probably on a salary of some sort so there is a bit of a disconnect between them shipping a few more units and him seeing a direct benefit, though the company itself would be performing better and thus be in a better position to remain stable and provide him future raises, profit sharing, stock, etc. So it's a few levels removed, but he would still see benefit from 
them shipping a few more units. Whether or not he would realize that or not. Right. And if he wanted a, a more matter. direct connection, then he could be in the sales department, where his right. commission is directly related to the number of sales. And another thing that I think mostly goes unnoticed among the vast majority of workers worldwide is the understanding of time preference. The understanding that you are trading, you know, vast, you know, a bigger chunk of the profit for a stable and steady pay. You get paid before Inatech ever sees a dime. You know, there's all the money that got put into R&D and building up a sales and building contacts and all that stuff. You're just like kind of taken for granted and you're just coming in, doing your job, getting paid right away. You get that weekly paycheck, whereas Inatech might be deferring, you know, that payment for a larger risk for the bigger reward later on. So I think, you know, when when workers gripe about I'm worth more to this company than my salary, I don't think that they're taking in that whole picture of the risk involved that the uh, that the owner is. Right, nor the the amount of capital and equipment that's placed at the worker's feet to be able to perform the amount of work that they're outputting, right? Like right. try doing all that stuff with your bare hands. How long is that going to take you versus being <laughs> right. provided the equipment? Uh, and they're not paying for that equipment. Now, in some instances, like, you know, certain mechanic shops, and I'm sure, you know, there's a bunch of other examples where the employee or the laborer does have to provide their own equipment. And that's a little bit different, but still uh, the concentration of um, the other factors being brought to bear makes it a better situation for that worker, even though they're bringing their own tools. Um, because if if all it took was having the tools, then go and open your own shop. Right. You know, but if there's like a, a place that's willing to, you know, build a full building for you and pay for the lights and lease the area and advertise and bring in customers and all that stuff, um, then you're in a better position to get more work and get more sales. And for them to do that at a loss, well, as we just said a moment ago, uh, things that you continually lose on, you kind of stop doing uh, so that those resources can be allocated to something that is more effective at satisfying consumer wants and desires. Absolutely, buddy. Now, if we could switch it up just a little bit. PC load does... letter, what the fuck is that? <laughs> By the way, it was a lot of fun uh, listening to all the hip hop songs again and watching the, uh, the destruction of the copier again. That was That still makes me smile every time I see it. And in the beginning, when he's listening to the hardcore rap in traffic, that's that's a good time. <laughs> and the guy walks by, he just like nonchalantly or, you know, s- secretively closes or locks the door. It's hilarious. Locks the door and turns down the music and just acts like he's not listening to anything. Yep, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but Peter, he goes to a hypnotist and the hypnotist basically puts him at ease with everything. Like just makes him calm and relaxed. And he's just pretty much okay with what, what would you say is Peter's transformation? Is he stop feeling anxiety about things? He stop worrying about things? Because he goes from, you know, trying to, you know, apologizing for the TPS reports to, you know, I don't like work. I'm just not going to go anymore. You know, I don't think I like paying bills. I'm not going to do that anymore. I mean, does he, is he kind of turning into like some sort of a communist here? What's going on? Yeah, so I think that's a good question. And and the hypnotist is really good because uh, she's she's anorexic now. Well, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he he's a young guy who he's got eight different bosses who tell him about the TPS reports. And each one of them tells him like three or four different ways in the same interaction. And then he hears it, you know, multiple times. So it's got to drive you crazy. But 
Uh, I think that the the hypnotist really just put him in a state of of not giving a fuck. You know, like he really wants to do nothing. Uh, he ta- he references the guidance counselor quiz, and I'm actually um, similar. And I think I took something like that, and I was sort of like equally good in a lot of different areas, and nothing really stood out because it's supposed to you know like help you pick what you want to do. Right. And I I never really got a good answer of it. And and he said in the movie uh, that you know what would you do if you had a million dollars. And I, I, you know, like I said, I never really had an answer. Um, but uh, Michael Bolton says the question is bullshit. No one would want to be a janitor because no one wants to go around cleaning up shit all day. That's the incentive problem, which is very similar to the motivation problem. And that's another issue with uh, socialism in that the jobs that are undesirable or unfun or hard to do, uh, if everyone equally gets uh, the same amount despite whatever job they do or don't do, as uh, Peter's case would be, because his desire is to do nothing, um, then how would those jobs get done? Other than at the point of a gun or with a bayonet in your back. Right. And they would do them just enough to not get fired as Peter was doing. Right. And yeah, like um, what's the incentive you know, to be a doctor where you have to go to work or you have to go to school for eight years, but you're going to get paid the same amount as the guy who, you know, just goes to high school and starts working right away. It, it messes up all of the human, you know, the incentives that humans respond to. Right. You know, and, and the, um, what's the guy's name who talked about the jump to conclusions, Matt? Is it uh, Stankowski or something like that? Uh, I couldn't tell you the guy's name. Well, he, he actually was onto something there. He was like, you know, the guy who made up the pet rock, he made a million dollars. Uh, so he's talking about, you know, taking entrepreneurial risk, coming up with a new idea, a new product, starting a business, taking it um, upon yourself to get something uh, new into the world and provide value for others. I mean, even a pet rock, uh, as dumb of an idea as that is, uh, people bought it because they preferred to do that with the money they had than something else. So they ended up buying these pet rocks. And so, I, you know, I think that really is the way out um, from Peter's situation. Now, the Bobs... They thought that his lack of caring, his his almost nihilistic, I, I don't want to do anything at all, was just a sign of him not being challenged or not, you know, not having enough to like keep him focused. And that reminds me of what you hear about in like school when they talk about um, kids who are struggling with school. Uh, and that, that's back when we were growing up. I think nowadays they just say, oh, put them on um, ADD meds or something. Yeah, they just overprescribe Ritalin and, you know, problem solved. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And um, just as an aside, I also do entrepreneurial stuff myself and I have a site for that. Uh, so if anyone would be interested, do check that out at blackand.gold. Uh, so it's not a .com, it's actually .gold, black and then a dot and gold. And check it out. There's a bunch of uh, good information on there that I've been working on to help you be entrepreneurial as well. End scene <laughs> or end plug. Way to, way, to, way to fit in the plugs there, Daniel. Just naturally... So natural, into so those natural. Things, so smooth. And actually, I'm I'm almost purposefully hamfisting this so it stands out. Yeah. How could you? And now we're calling attention to it right now by talking about it even more. So black and dark gold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, check out Channel Nine. Got to wake my ass up at six a.m. every day this week. Yeah, I'm doing the drywall down at the new McDonald's <laughs> over there, Osalita. Yeah, there's like a breast exam going on. Yeah, you know, Diedrich Bader, I think he was like the best. He did the best performance in this whole thing. I really can't fault his performance. I mean, it's fairly over the top, but it's all good. Listen, we can't tell anyone about this. Not wives, not girlfriends. <laughs> Don't, Don't worry, worry I won't tell anybody about it either. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Don't, Don't worry, he's cool. <laughs> oh, good stuff. You know, I I watched this movie at 2x speed on YouTube because I could and because I've seen the movie so many times and I've been like you, pressed for time lately. I mean, you had the whole move happen recently. 
or until moments ago, actually. Uh, Indeed. But my wife and I have been watching Spartacus after the kids go to bed. And it keeps just leaving you on cliffhangers. And so every night I'd be like, well, you know, we're going to do Swingers next on the show. I got to watch the movie. And she's like, well, can't we just watch Spartacus? <laughs> so I actually finished watching this 2X Speed this morning. So good times, good times. That's why this is- Are we doing Swingers? Oh, I'm sorry. Office Space. I'm calling it Swingers because of Livingston. Fair enough. Fair enough. And now we can call him Swingers. Um Oh, there was one other thing that the uh, entrepreneurial guy said. Uh, he said, you know, they're bringing in these consultants to do downsizing. So you got to interview for your own job. And if you lose your job, then you have to go down to the state unemployment office and stand in line with those scumbags. That's an interesting line. I, you know, so the- I, I think that has a little bit of merit. I mean, if, if you've lost your job, I feel bad for you, son. But you got to, you know, take individual responsibility, right? Yeah. In fact, I don't know anybody that just doesn't, you know jump into the unemployment line and, you know, expect it, expect that state unemployment to kick in and be like, okay, well, I got some time to, you know, find a job and you know, milk this system for a while. Yeah. My wife, before, uh, before she met me, she dated a guy who worked construction and because it's relatively seasonal, like you can really only do it, you know, late spring through uh, fall, um, they would lay off their workers and then they would all just go and collect unemployment for three or four months. Yeah. That, that was just how they did it. And I'm sure, you know, that's another way that these government incentives just bastardize and destroy and disincentivize, you know, productivity. Indeed. So uh, I know you you pivoted us over to this area, and I don't know if we've actually addressed your purpose. Have we done so, sir? Well, I mean, I was maybe wanting to get into, like, you know, the root mindset of communism, communists, but I don't know if that's not above our pay grade. I don't know if we're able to uh, effectively address that. I mean, I wanted to, you know, ask if, you know, if, if Peter is essentially expressing the communist, you know, what, id or ego or, you know, base level desires or something, because he's essentially had, you know, a fair amount of his psyche stripped away, right? Like this anxiety, worry part of his brain, and he's just left with whatever this pure idea of, well, I don't want to work, so I shouldn't have to. Kind of like this Marxist view of the world where, you know, today I want to be a plumber and tomorrow I want to be a painter and then the next day I'm not going to work because I shouldn't have to. So it seemed like he was kind of living this this ideal, especially with this whole, you know, Inatech is this evil corporation and no human being should have to work in a cubicle. That's just the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's such a privileged argument to make. I mean, tell that guy, you know, tell that argument to the guy working in the coal mine and going like, you know, working in a cubicle is just the worst, man. Can you imagine working in a cubicle? It's the most soulless, soul-destroying thing ever. Nobody should ever have to work in a cubicle. Yeah. While the guy's just got black lung. <laughs> He's just staring at him, looking at him with death eyes. I got the black lung pop. <laughs> uh, we should do Zoolander sometime. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it is a very privileged thing. And back to the mindset of um, communists and, and socialists, I think that they have this um, glossy cover of, oh, everyone's provided for and we're all just mutually sharing and everyone's going to work equally hard for the good of the collective. You know, we're going to build a new socialist man and it's going to be this great worker's paradise where you're only going to have to work a couple of hours a day and there's not going to be any hunger or need for want. Um, you know, the other mo- modes of production, capitalism, et cetera, leads to all sorts of waste and exploitation of worker and, and toil and long hours. Um, I think uh, Kropotkin even suggested that the same amount of um, work could get done in just 10 hours a week versus 40 or 50. 
of course, they're all wrong, um, but uh, that is the the platitudes that are put forth and, and sold to the masses. It's it's another opiate, you know. Well, I can tell him how he's going to be able to get the most, the more productivity, get that much productivity out of a worker in ten hours as they would in forty hours, and that's by increasing the level of technology. And all of a sudden, you put a computer in front of a person as opposed to a pickaxe or a piece of paper and a pencil, and they're able to be vastly more productive. But under Kropotkin's system, uh, the computer never would have been invented because there would have been no incentive to do so. Right. Now, I don't know if this is, um, you know, my flavor of communism is better than your flavor of communism, but in Cambodia, they actually stripped the capital, like the any level of tools or automation other than hand tools, from the people so that everyone was employed in these slave labor camps. Well, everyone that was still alive. I mean, you know, if if they wore eyeglasses, then they were just shot in the back of the head because clearly they were a threat. person couldn't be allowed. A threat to the system. Yeah. But that's so yeah, they they willingly threw away technology and capital and productivity. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, millions of people starved and were killed. Yeah, it didn't it didn't end well for some reason. And Can't imagine what. Next Friday is Hawaiian shirt day. So if you want, you know, you can wear a Hawaiian shirt and blue jeans. And Robert, I do have to tell you, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing. Just look at my cousin. He's broke and doesn't do shit. <laughs> I think you've seen this movie a few times. You are rattling off pretty much every line. Two chicks at the same time. <laughs> okay, uh, you just I, we just need to record. You, you have you record a soundboard for each one of these like Daniel quote movies, and then we'll just randomly hit them, like have a cat walk across the soundboard or something. I do believe you get your ass kicked for saying something like that. <laughs> oh man, this is good stuff. Uh, so this reminds me of our Billy Madison episode, and that literally was just me cracking up at all the quotes that you had written and recited to me and uh, <laughs> recanted how many times you had heard them. Uh, so- yes, that's right. Yeah, when we did the Billy Madison episode, it was such just a quote fest because I had probably Billy Madison was probably the movie that was quoted the most. I mean, that along with Ace Ventura, this movie, you know, many others, but mostly Billy Madison. I'd heard those lines so many times that I decided to just write it down every time I heard one of those multi, multi just ones that were just bur- burrowed into my brain. I didn't do that this time, but there were there are some standout quotes that you've already you've already said, but a lot of um you know, a lot of the boss was 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 quoted endlessly. You know, I'm gonna have to have you come in on Saturday. Yeah, I mean that that kind of stuff was said a lot growing up. Yeah. Now, is it hard to believe that this movie did terrible at the box office? Was it up against some kind of competition? Because I don't know. I mean, I, I can't imagine this got a big wide release, but it should have done fairly well. I mean, this is probably. I mean, this is you know, Mike Judge. He's coming off of Beavis and Butthead. You know. Yeah, I think that um, I read a little bit about it and and. They said that the marketing plan for this was just terrible. It's like an ensemble cast. And like you mentioned, you know, Anderson was probably the big draw. They didn't even refer- reference her in the um, movie poster. It's just a guy covered in post-it notes. Right. It's just Milton, right? If it, if you can even tell. It's just a guy in post-it notes. I mean, that's the cover of the DVD is Milton covered in post-it notes. Oh, well, that, maybe that's what it is. But I don't think that's going to like draw in the, <laughs> the movie going public, you know? No, probably not. Although I'm glad the movie found its audience and is, you know, essentially a cult classic because it does. It's it holds up over time. I mean, it's it's been, you know, 19 years since it was released. And I mean, I, I can't it's impossible to watch it with fresh eyes and go, man, this is hilarious. But, you know, there's so many just choice stuff that, you know, it you know, it still brings a smile to your face if, if you're not just, you know, laughing still. So, yeah, I just stare at my desk so it looks like I'm working and. It's not that I'm lazy. It's just that I don't care. 
I like how you're just throwing lines at me completely out of context. Doesn't really fit what I'm saying. It's fine. Illegal. This is America. Oh, man. That that part was funny, too, when, when he was talking about the um, uh, conjugal visits and the country club prison. If they, if they ended up getting caught for doing their uh, Take a Penny Superman 3. Were they going to get pounded in the ass prison or whatever it was? Well, that's what, after they talked to um, Stan Kowski's lawyer, and he said, conjugal visits, no, no, you, you'd be sent to federal pound me in the ass prison. <laughs> <laughs> and then they got all scared about it. But um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty funny, pretty funny stuff. Yeah, it still holds up. Still holds up. I mean, here we are watching it 19 years later as older and somewhat wiser human beings and still entertains us. So that's the sign of a good movie. I would agree. Yes. I don't, I don't know if a, a young kid watching it today is going to identify with it so much. Um, I mean, this is the kind of the movie that I associate with, like the Dilbert comic strip, because they're both about, you know, offices and ridiculous stuff. But and I don't think Dilbert is really in the zeitgeist as it once was, if it ever was. But you know, Scott Adams had a, a terrific run with that strip. Yeah, I wonder if at the time, if this seemed like it was a ripoff of Dilbert. Probably drew some inspiration, kind of hard not to. But, you know, the, living and working in an office is such a ubiquitous thing. I'm surprised that more people didn't, you know, really identify with it right away and make it more of an instantaneous success. But I guess if the marketing was just atrocious, then, yeah, it could get lost in the shuffle. But, you yeah, know, but it's a fairly universal feeling, right? I mean, I don't think anybody really loves sitting in that fluorescent lighting cubicle environment, tapping away at a computer for eight hours a day, unless you really love what you do. You know, I mean, there are people that, you know, like make video games all their lives, you know, in a very similar type environment. And I don't think they would necessarily, even though that can be brutal, would um, feel the same way as Peter does in this movie. But I'm sure there are a large number of people who do feel similarly because even though I don't think no human should work in a, in a cubicle because clearly they prefer it to being a janitor or any number of terrible jobs. Um, it isn't, I wouldn't say the height of, I don't know, what's the right word? What am I trying to say? Like the, the height of rewarding, inspiring, human thriving type creative wonderland world jobs. I don't know. I could see why people would, you know, feel worn down and resentful eventually of that sort of thing. But I think people, especially when they've got a bit of time invested, start to feel like they deserve things. You know, like you're at this company for five years, 10 years, and then you're just summarily fired. You feel like, you know, what the hell? I have all this time and energy invested in this company and this is how you treat me. But, you know, you don't you're not you're not guaranteed employment. You're not you don't you aren't owed employment, just like they aren't owed your labor. And I think that's just gets lost to a lot of people, especially when they're feeling put out. Yeah, I mean, it becomes personal, right? Because they've built relationships with the people and, and feel like that they've been spending that time. And then that is all invested, right? It's building up yeah. capital for them that, you know, political or, or relationship capital. Uh, and then to have that not be worth as much as they thought when it comes down to it, you know, when it comes down to like downsizing or, or whatever happens. Uh, but the company is doing that with imperfect information. You know, they're trying to be a forecaster of where things are headed and making decisions and adjustments to try to minimize losses and maximize their profits. And so if anything, they're trying to allocate resources more effectively. Yeah. And, and be more efficient. 
And, they, and they made I think as wrong. an employee, that's a good lesson, right? I mean, how did you? What did you expect when you were had a job where you could afford to zone out for hours at a time, or you know, where he, the one guy had a job where he really didn't do anything? I mean, how long do you really think that's going to last in the in the in the private sector? I mean, maybe in the public sector you can get away with that horseshit. What would you where say? You don't actually have to do, do anything here. and provide any results. <laughs> but they demand results in the private sector. Uh, Ghostbusters, not yes. That's right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. Now, in the individual um, instance, of course, it's it's sad, right? But, you know, many times people end up uh, finding something better as a result of, of having to reassess what they're doing because people get into routines, right? And sometimes it takes that shock of being laid off or a company going under or whatever, and then they have to figure out what else they would, what else they need to do. Right. And, you know, it, it teaches you a good lesson to become more valuable to an employer. You know, take on more responsibility, take on, you know, learn more skills, be, be a greater value, be indispensable to that company. And the Bobs aren't going to cut you. But, you know, if you just sit around all day and you don't really do anything and the Bobs come along and they're like, so what do you do? And you just sit there and stammer and say you got people skills. Yeah, you probably deserve to get canned. I don't know what to tell you, man. And and then to claim that it's some sort of injustice. I mean, yeah, the the two programmers thought it was an injustice because they were the quote, you know, best programmers at Intech. But if they could be outcompeted by some what what did they say like graduate students or something like that recent graduates that were they were going to pay a lot less to do essentially the same thing right or they farm out some of the work to singapore right so if you're getting outcompeted you got to kind of realize that you're getting outcompeted i don't know what to tell you you can't sit there and whine and say it's unfair because how many people did you outcompete in the first place to get the job to then turn around and go well this is unfair that somebody else is outcompeting me for my job give me a break it's a competitive market it's a meritocracy i don't know what to tell you but yeah in the moment i'm sure it's it's painful and a bit of a gut check, and then you got to figure out what else you can do. Uh, but that is the motivation. We're finally answering your initial question at the top yes. of the show here. That's nice. the motivation for them to go through with their Superman 3 plot. They're like, fuck this company. I'm mad. They're just tossing us aside like garbage. And so let's, let's screw them a little bit here. And because they're so focused on Y2K, they won't even notice. We'll make a handsome profit and be able to, you know, cover our expenses and... Everything will be fine. A little bit of theft, uh, but they won't even notice and it'll be fine. And then Michael screws up the mundane detail and they try to make amends. You know, they return the money. They do the confession letter. But Milton has been lurking in the shadows the whole time, muttering under his breath that every time they do something to him, take a stapler, move him for the third or fourth time within the movie itself, uh, that he's going to burn the building down. And he finally does it, which he sure does saves our heroes from getting caught. So there's no consequences for their actions. Yeah, none really. I mean, they, they did get the fear in them for for uh, a moment, and they realized they had done a bad thing. Um, so I think they did learn a lesson, uh, and they didn't necessarily need to be like punitively punished to have that lesson come through. Like, if, if, if going to prison is supposed to rehabilitate you and have you learn your lesson, give you time to reflect, or whatever the sort of bullshit argument is, uh, why someone would lock someone else in a cage uh, for something like that, it's like a, it's a, an extended timeout if you were a kid, um, then if that was the case, if that was the purpose of such a thing, even if it was federal pound me in the ass prison uh, and give you the O-face, uh, they learned that lesson without even having to go through that process. Well, let's give you some skin in the game, Daniel. You are the owner of Inatech. And you realize that this money has all been stolen and you are furious and you launch an investigation to find out who did it. 
And then Milton doesn't burn down the building, and you find the confession letter. Are there what steps do you take? Do you go, well, they're giving it back. They feel bad. No problem. Or do you do you want some sort of punishment put on these guys? Well, I would use if it's me personally, then I would I would not, you know, run to big daddy government. I would be probably inclined to appreciate the honesty and making me aware that there is such a, a vulnerability in the systems here. Um, but probably also fire them and use whatever social pressures I had to make it known that they had done something of this nature. And so it would probably limit their uh, endeavors to work in the same field in the future. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're in agreement then. Yeah. Cause I, they'd already fired the two programmers, but I would have been, yeah, like Peter, take a hike, buddy. <laughs> that's, that's basically what I would have done. And yeah, use what social pressures and whatnots to alert people that these guys had done this because I mean, yeah, they probably learned their lesson, but did they really? And what lesson did they exactly did they learn? Did they learn that, what, it's wrong to steal? Or did they learn that, you know, this this whole idea of revenge against this company because you feel, you know, slighted because you're some pretty, pretty princess and somebody, you know, didn't want to go to your 21st birthday ball, if these analogies make any sense to you? <laughs> no, that's all right. Say hello to Lundberg well, for me. These guys, no, these guys, these guys were the, these entitled little princesses that because they got fired, they're like, I'm going to go postal because I got fired. Grow up. Be an adult. People get fired all the time. That doesn't mean that the company they work for is evil. It's, it's, it's this entitled outlook on life that really, really annoys me. It's this super lefty kind of look like, I deserve this because this. I'm a special little snowflake. No, you're not. Yeah, it's like all those people who graduate from college with like useless degrees and then they get upset that they have high debt and no job prospects yeah yeah well what'd you so, go for why why did you even go if that's the case i mean it, if you want me to wear more flair then why not make the minimum 37 you tell him daniel it's what i'm saying you freaking tell him i feel like i feel like i'm talking to daniel on facebook at this point where he just like posts gifts gifts with a like a little blurb a little cutting blurb that uh, is meant to have multiple meanings. Yeah, somebody posts this like this really thoughtful paragraph, you know, really asking some deep question. Daniel's answer, some gif of Ace Ventura talking about his butthole or something. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of Billy Madison ones lately. It's been great. The, like, nice. The what day is it? October uh, is one, and then the uh, Marco Polo because that's like pretty much the same scene, but it's good stuff. Oh, so good. If you say so. All right. So uh, I've got eight different bosses, and they're all telling me that we are running low on time on this. So let's get uh, uh, a last, like, whatever else you got on your plate, and then final summary and review. I've got nothing on my plate. I, I, I The only thing is the, the acting was decent. You know, it wasn't, like, super spectacular, but you know, I'm sure this is, like, a fairly low-budget flick. And oh, actually, I'm you know what? I, I, I have something before we get into that. Uh, oh. What'd you think of Orlando Jones, Steve, who's yeah. pretending to be a crackhead t because it helps him sell magazines. And he actually does far better selling magazines than he ever did working at Inatrode, which Peter later refers to as Penetrode, which I thought was hilarious. Um, well, it is, I suppose you could call it fraud. Um, you know, you're misrepresenting who you are. It, it, it's kind of similar to people, you know, begging for change that have some kind of sign, which is false. And, and you see those all the time. Yeah, I always and, you know, like it when they say, oh, who, who's kidding? I just want a beer. 
yeah, yeah, at least that's, you know, fairly honest. Or at least or at least it's somewhat more honest than who knows whatever else they're always talking about. They always have those signs that you you know, everyone knows. They they're ridiculous. And they're always almost always suspect, if not outright ridiculous lies. But you know, I don't you know, it's it's not like that would be any kind of a prosecutable offense in my mind. You know, you're you're out there playing on other people's emotions, right? You're like, oh, I'm a crackhead. I'm trying to do myself better. You know, feel pity, take pity on me and buy more magazines. Much in the same way that, you know, take pity on me for X, Y, and Z problems that are on my crudely written sign. So give me more money. Um, you know, they're not forcing you to give you any money. So you're voluntarily, you're getting, you know, that that cathartic experience of, you know, donating charity. So you feel good giving them that money, regardless of whether or not what they're saying is actually true. You're buying with your donated dollars that feeling of helping this person, you know, with their dead dog or their lost dog and trying to get to Alaska and, you know, whatever the story is. You're kind of buying this story and you kind of want it to believe it. Are you writing a Regardless of whether it's true or not. You writing a country song, Robert? Yeah. My dead dog and I are trying to get to Alaska. On country roads? On country roads. So give me your $5. It writes itself. I'm telling you, country music writes itself. You just tell a really sad story. And just the saddest story you can think of. But country music really does have good stories. I mean, you know, everybody likes a good sad story to listen to. So anyway, yeah. Um, I think we've discussed this in the past, but its I don't think it's the worst thing ever. I think you're both adults and you're both getting something in that transaction regardless of whether that transaction is true or not but you know it is fraud i mean you are misrepresenting yourself but what would you you know what kind of restitution would you want you know just alert somebody that hey these people are liars oh spoiler alert everybody already knows (laughs) right right it's kind of like you take it as a given that they're giving you some bullshit yarn right yeah 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 and you still you know decide what to do with it and peter in this case for buying Steve silence. He buys forty subscriptions to Vibe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he wouldn't get one of each different kind of magazine, but okay. I think at that point they just wanted them out the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know. Uh, anyway, so why don't we get into the final summary and review? You started with the acting, so go for it, my man. Okay, so I mean, I wouldn't call necessarily. Well, the acting was all fairly serviceable, although I wouldn't say it was fantastic. Um, I don't know if Mike Judge you know, is really kind of like a director's director. I think he's just like, you know, a funny guy. He's a writer, director. He's a very talented man. But I I don't think he's going out there making like these auteur type movies. I think he's more in it for the funny and he's looking for the jokes to land. So, you know, you're going into this looking at a comedy, which is what it is. And that's fantastic. It's not trying to be a whole lot of other things that it would fail miserably at. It's just trying to make you laugh. And I'm sure it made me laugh Many, 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 many times over the years. You know, I don't think I laughed this time, but I was smiling through most of it. And that's just mostly nostalgia, you know, at the jokes that at one time made me laugh. But you can only hear, you know, the same joke so many times before you stop laughing. So, you know, in that, this movie succeeds very well. I'm glad that it holds up uh, after all this time. Um, I don't know if it's going to hit the youth today like it hit me back in the day. I'd I'd be interested to know, you know, are people discovering this movie and going, oh, this is great. Or if this is a movie very much of its time. And I suspect it's more of its time. But I I would, I'd like to know if the kids today could watch it and really get into it. I I don't know. And I guess I just don't have that perspective. But um, 
you know, as far as like any kind of a number, you know, uh, I can't, I can't give a comedy, you know, much higher than like a seven. It's just, you just can't do it because it's not, you know, it's not, it's not like the greatest story ever told and best acting ever and best cinematography and best directing. You're not getting anything like that. So I'm going to give this just movie just a, a seven. It's it's a great movie for what it is, what it tries to be. And uh, yeah, even though it's uh, main characters are a bunch of uh, self-entitled little commies, still, uh, still a good movie. So I'll pass it along to Daniel. With sports. Uh, yeah, so this was one of those defining movies that I, I associate with, you know, my childhood. Um, it's one that I've watched dozens of times and it stuck with me. It uh, It was one of the movies that, I, I likened with my initial efforts in the workforce and I was working a cube farm very similar to this. And I had a boss who would move us around almost at his own whim. And I think that was just an exercise in that he could. And it was a big pain in the ass. Um, but I also really liked Livingston from Swingers. And so this this one was a good movie for me. It uh, has tons of quotable stuff and it is one that you can go back and rewatch. Uh, like I said, I watched this at 2x speed in YouTube which is a cool feature I figured out. Um, you know how we have been buying movies uh, on Vudu and now how all the services are tied together. Um, if the rights to the studios are associated with each of those, then you can get movies you've bought in Vudu in YouTube or iTunes or other areas. And the YouTube version lets you adjust the playback speed. So for a light comedy like this that you've seen a bunch of times, um, and, and if you don't have a lot of time, I recommend this. Watch the movie at one and a half or two X and that way you get... All of the hits, you know, you get that dopamine uh, from watching it and the nostalgia and you have time to uh, go and actually do something productive. Uh, unlike Peter Gibbons, uh, who would prefer to do nothing and it would be everything that he thought it would be. So I'm going to uh, watch out for my cornhole and give this an 8.0 face as my final summary and review and rating. Lovely, Daniel. Lovely, lovely times. What's what? What's up next for the uh, act? for the uh the peoples here all right well i think next week we're going to try to introduce having a guest and talk about a documentary called schooling the world and it's going to go through um the different education models that are working in the world and where the u.s system came from in the prussian model and we'll be able to get into some of the history on that with our special guest who's very very familiar with that stuff and it's an it's a topic i've wanted to explore uh we've got kids of our own and we're starting to you know see what um schooling options are out there uh, including you know homeschooling and unschooling and that's probably the the preference but knowing what the uh, history of the system we have here uh, is will be very useful in being able to um, make appropriate decisions for yourself. So it's called School in the World. I will post a link to the film itself uh, on our show notes page for this at lastnighter.com slash 33. So you'll be uh, fully prepared to be able to go and um, after listening to this episode, prep for the next one. And it should be a lot of fun. Sounds great, buddy. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, Robert, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us, uh, audience. Uh, we're going to do the uh, the end of the show here. So thank you so much. Um, you can find this at thelaunchpadmedia.com, uh, where they're always throwing new ideas in your direction or launching them in your direction. Also, the show notes at lastnighters.com slash 33. I do appreciate you joining and have a good night. Good night from last night.